Okay, and good morning. I'm sitting next to Travis. You'll see on page 13 there's a little map so you can see where, where they travel to. And uh, Travis looks over at mine and goes, you got a map? Why didn't I get a map? It's like listening to a six-year-old boy get jealous of the guy. you got to be on the same page. That's your problem. <laughs> so uh, now that I'm throwing you under the bus, uh, good morning again. So we've uh, we just finished the book of Titus. We spent the, the fall there, and then we spent the one-week excursion dealing with uh, looking at uh, Martha and Mary and, and Jesus when he came to visit them in Luke 10. And so today, uh, we're starting a new book. It's a short book, the book of Ruth. Uh, it'll be four weeks in there, with one week in the middle where uh, John Dunning will be preaching. So, uh, And that will take us all the way up to, to Christmas. And Christmas morning, you can probably guess what we'll be talking about then. So if you can't, just come. You'll figure it out. Uh, so the author of Ruth is uh, unknown. No one knows for sure who it is. Uh, most people believe it is, it is Samuel, uh, but again, not certain. But we are certain of this. It's the word of God for the people of God. Uh, so we're coming to it as that. Uh, so if you have a Bible, go ahead and find it. Uh, Ruth is one of those books that's never where you really think it's going to be. Um, you kind of expect it to be much later, but uh, it is the eighth book of the Bible. So if you want to just count them out, you can get there that way if you're not sure. It's uh, uh, you know, the first five books of the, the Bible are the Torah, uh, called, meaning the law. You've got Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and then there's Joshua, Judges, and then you come to Ruth. And uh, I point that out because that's part of Bible liturgy, that we're able to get there, literacy, that we're able to get to these places. And if you don't know, there's no shame in that, but start learning it, you know, figure out how to get there. Uh, so Ruth, then, is part of these, these 12 books that are called the, uh, the history books, or the history portion and uh, so we're going to be in Ruth. <clears throat> so then Ruth is this story uh, of a woman who, after finding herself in, in a very vulnerable situation, uh, she really abandons her own culture, leaves her own culture to go to a new culture um, to live with, with Israel. And um, so in the end, she's going to uh, come to know that the, the true covenant love of, of God for her uh, and the joy that we experience when, when we belong to his people and his covenant and, and his family. Uh, and I tell you that right off the bat because we're not going to get there today. Uh, this portion, chapter 1 today, is going to be uh, in a lot of ways a, a downer. It's the thing that sets everything up, but uh, we're going to see a lot of tragedy in our text today. And, and really, the fact that we're getting there and we stop there is pretty fitting because sometimes in life, uh, we, can, we can only see the current chapter we're in at any given moment. And that means that, um, you know, we don't see the way that God's love for us is unfolding in a lot of ways. Um, she's not going to see it until the rest of this book actually unfolds for her, uh, the way we're reading it. It was different in her life. Uh, so as we come to this book, it's good to know also that Ruth is not the hero of this book. Uh, neither is a guy named Boaz that we're going to learn about, or Naomi or anyone else. The hero of this book is our covenant-keeping God, and the way that he shows this loving kindness for his people, the way he is providing what they need. Uh, and so before we begin, I, I want us to see one thing here, that, that Ruth's story is, is really a familiar story for most of us, and, and that's because um, in Ephesians, remember uh, it's a book written by the Apostle Paul uh, thousands of years after this, and it's uh, there that Paul points out that as Gentiles, as non-Jews, as uh, that we, are, we were once outside the people of God, just like we're seeing Ruth here. Now, you might not know that yet, but the way we're going to see Ruth. And in Ephesians, where Paul's writing, in Ephesians 2.12, Paul says that our life before Jesus, and he says this, Remember that you were at a time 
separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. See, we needed a redeemer to do what we could not do. And that means we needed a redeemer to provide what we could not provide, namely entrance into the covenants of God, forgiveness, salvation, the gospel. Uh, and so one more point before we read. I know we usually don't have introductions this long, but one more point. Um, as we read this story, you just kind of have to accept that their culture is different than our culture. There is this American temptation that we want to change their culture, and, and that's not what this is about. Um, and so as you hear this, I, I want you to think about uh, not just how their culture ought to change according to our values, but, but I want you to see this, this love story, this, this redemption that we are seeing unfold here uh, over the next four, four Sundays. So uh, chapter 22, or ch- chapter 1, we're not going to skip that far because there is no 22. Uh, 22 verses long, and we're going to read them all. And that might feel a little weird to you because that is a long way to go. Uh, but you can sit back, you can listen to God's word being read, or you can follow along in your, your Bibles if you have them. So Ruth, chapter 1, verse 1. <clears throat> in the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And a man of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab. He and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech. And the name of his wife was Naomi. And the name of his two sons were Mahalan and Chilon. They were <clears throat> Ephrathites from Bethlehem and Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died. And she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other was Ruth. They lived there about ten years, and both Malan and Chalan died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return to the country of Moab. For she had heard that the fields of Moab, that the Lord had visited his people and, uh, from the fields of Moab, that heard that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughter-in-laws, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughter-in-law, <coughs> daughters-in-law, "Go, return each of you to your mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me." The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices, and they wept. And they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope... Even if I should have a husband this, this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you go therefore, would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter for me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. And then they lifted up their voices and they wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there, there, will, be, there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. 
And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, Is this Naomi? She said to them, Do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara. For the Almighty has dealt, with me bitter, has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. The grass withers and the flower fades. <clears throat> Let's pray. Oh Lord, the events we just read about occurred a few thousand years ago, and yet with all of our technological advancements, we still understand the pain of death and loss. We understand the, the fear and anxiety of an unknown future. Just the same as Naomi and, and Ruth felt and feared in, in this time, in this place in history. Would you open our eyes this, this morning to, to see these four chapters, uh, over these four weeks really, uh, that we would see the great covenant love you have for your people in, in the very moment of tragedy, as well as in the years and the generations that follow such painful events. Uh, teach us from your word today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So there's a lot to unpack in these 22 verses, so let's just get right into it. Um, you know, there's a little bit of making sure we understand this. There's this guy named Elimelech. Uh, literally, that name means, my God is, is king. Uh, and he is, his wife is Naomi, and they have these two sons. Uh, they are called Ephrathites, which is a word I can hardly pronounce. Uh, but they're called that because that was the ancient name of the town of Bethlehem before it was called Bethlehem. Uh, it's similar to the way that uh, you could call people from Atlanta termites today because that town was originally named Terminus. Uh, no one does that. I wish they would. It'd be beautiful if we could refer to anyone as termites. But um, as it is, I don't know what we call them. Uh, anyway, no one really knows. Uh, anyway, Elimelech and his wife and his sons, they, they leave Bethlehem and they go to Moab to live. And they go because there's this famine, meaning there was, there was no grain, there was no bread in Bethlehem. And the whole thing there is quite ironic because uh, in the Hebrew, the word Bethlehem actually means house of bread, and yet there is none. So now, Moab was a country on the opposite side of the Dead Sea. That's where the map's in there, so you can see that. Travis, page 13. Uh, and at the time, one of, uh, you know, they were one of Israel's enemies. Uh, not really in war, but they were an enemy. And so it's a bit like uh, if you were to up your, your family today and to go move to Saudi Arabia for economic reasons, you know, it's a very different culture. There's a very different religion. Uh, it'd be a very, a very strange place for you. Uh, and at some point, unexpectedly, Elimelech dies. Let uh, leaves Naomi now in this foreign country. She has two sons, and she has no husband. Her, her sons have married two Moabite women after that, which was really ill-advised for Israelites because of the concern that, that these, uh, these women who worship other gods would lead their husbands into that sort of worship as well, of, of false idols. Uh, and so the women they marry are Ruth and Orpah. Uh, on a side note, you might recognize that name, Orpah. That's where Oprah Winfrey got her name from. Uh, I did a little research to make sure I was right about this, but... Uh, her aunt actually picked the name from this chapter in the Bible to be her name, uh, and no one in her family knew how to pronounce or spell the name properly. 
And so eventually, the wrong spelling of Oprah instead of Orpah stuck. So that's just a side note. Anyway, uh, they lived 10 years in Moab, and, and then both of Naomi's sons die. Uh, just when you're thinking things couldn't get worse for her. And, and so this leaves Orpah, it leaves Ruth, and it leaves Naomi with no husbands. And remember, this is a, a time and a culture where uh, your husband was, was going to be the way to provide for you. Absolutely. Uh, so you can imagine the, the anxiety that they felt for their future for simple things like food and shelter. And then Naomi pondered in her, her mind, you know, this idea, well, what do I do now in this moment? And <clears throat> I can't help but thinking of the, the old Clash song, you know, should I stay or should I go now? Surely you know this song. If I stay, there will be trouble. And if I go, there will be double. Am I the only one who's ever heard that song? Y'all need to listen to the radio. Um, so anyway, Naomi does choose to go to Bethlehem, and she heads back. Uh, there is word that there is now bread in the house of God. There is food in Bethlehem. Uh, and so before going, she makes this attempt to, to convince her daughter-in-laws, you know, go back to your families. These women are, are still very young. The idea is that they could, they could remarry. Uh, they could have children. She's saying, don't, don't come with me. Go back to, to your place. Because she wants these, these women to have, a, again, in their lives what they have lost, what she has lost, uh, for God to, to bless them. And Naomi even leaves that, uses that covenant language there. May the Lord deal kindly with you. Um, that deal kindly with you is a, the, the Hebrew word hesed. It's the covenant love of God. And then in verse 9, you, you can feel the sadness as these widows cry with each other uh, over all their loss, over the, um, the future they're looking at. Um, so both the younger women say they're going to go with Naomi, but Naomi reminds them again, you know, um, that she can't offer them new, ho- new husbands. She even goes in this whole explanation, even if I had a child today, this child would not be old enough for you to marry for a very long time. Are you kidding me that you might actually stick around? Uh, she has no other sons. And, and here's what she's talking about. There was a, a law back then called the Liberate, uh, Liberate Marriage Law, which said that if a woman died and had no children, uh, that the closest brother would actually marry that woman to provide children and to provide financial support for them. And she's saying, there's nobody. I've got nothing to offer you. Don't come with me. Um, you know, there's no hope with me. And so uh, one of them leaves. And then in verse 13, Naomi says, the, the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. So for the first time, we really get a picture of what Naomi believes is, is happening here. Uh, she understands rightly that the providence of God is at work even in her pain, but she's wrong about God being angry at her or against her. And it's going to take the rest of this book before she really starts to understand that. See, Death is a result of living in a fallen and broken world. Uh, you know, live long enough and you are certain to experience uh, the death of someone that you love. And if you don't live long enough, then someone else is going to experience that. Uh, see, our hope in the gospel is not just the forgiveness of sin, but there's also this hope that, that God is fixing a broken world. And that includes the, the pain and the nastiness of, of death. Uh, in Revelation 21, 3 and 4, we read, I, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. 
And yet, as, as many of us know all too well today, that you know, today we still feel the effects of death in a fallen world. And that's why these widows are crying together. There's that pain. Naomi does convince Orpah to return to her parents, but not Ruth. Uh, in verse 14, we're told that Ruth clung to her. Uh, you kind of get that picture. That's an expression of this loyalty, this, this devotion. In fact, uh, in this phrase that Ruth says, uh, where it says clung to her, is a Hebrew word that describes the, the loyalty, the covenant, commitment. In fact, it's the same word in Genesis 2.24, uh, the one you probably have heard many times in your life, to leave and cleave. Uh, it's a marriage kind of commitment. That's the kind of oath she's making to her in this moment. Um, not marriage, but just a commitment. And so then uh, a third time, Naomi, Naomi tries to convince Ruth, go to your family, go to your gods, go back where you came from. And, you know, Ruth just shuts her down absolutely here. Uh, there's this amazing speech. Uh, you've probably heard it. If you've ever been to a wedding, someone probably has had it read there. And I want you to just notice this. I'm going to read that little section again. How each successive, you know, successive phrase here increases this commitment that she's making to her mother-in-law. She says, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. And your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there will I be buried. She just shuts it down. Um, this oath is very, very similar to the covenant that God made with Abraham back in Genesis 17 when he says that he will be their God and they will be his people. Uh, see, Ruth is willing to leave everything that she knows in her culture, to leave the, the worship of this false Moabite God named Kemos, uh, to become part of God's covenant people. And the unspoken thing here is that the only thing she knows about the Israelite God is what she has learned from, from this family that she's been part of, right? Uh, they've watched Ruth walk, um, or watched Naomi walk in her, her faith and her, her love for the Lord at different times. Uh, and so there's something she's seen even in that that, that makes her interested in this. And I know, we, I mean, the, Naomi, as we're looking at her, her she, here she is absolutely broken. Um, but there must have been something she's seen in the past. I don't know if you noticed, but this, this is actually an oath that Ruth makes here. Uh, Do you notice the capital letters in the word Lord there in verse 17? We've talked about this a while back, but you remember what that means in your English Bibles? When it's lowercase, it's this Hebrew word Adonai, um, meaning Lord or Master. But anytime you see capitals in your English Bible, all capitals, L-O-R-D, uh, it's, it's that way on purpose because the, the Hebrew there is God's covenant name, Yahweh. And so her oath is not made to the gods of her Moabite family, but, but to the true God of Israel. And we're seeing this. It's a conversion-like thing happening. Uh, so after Ruth's speech, Naomi just stops talking to her. It's actually pretty interesting the way it goes. She doesn't thank her for coming. There's nothing of that. It's just she stops talking. And they travel back to, to, Israel, or to Bethlehem. Uh, Twelve times, 22 verses, and 12 times this verb to return is used. It's, it's worth pointing out that you know, this, this word to return is the same Hebrew word that is translated to repent. This turning back to God. And so Naomi has been away for well over a decade. And even though she's coming back uh, you know, bitter and broken and, uh, and just torn down in that regard, she is returning to the community of God's people. And in a sense, she's coming back to the Lord himself. Uh, and so she goes home to the city she grew up in. She goes back to the, the people she grew up with. 
And the town has stirred at her return, and she just tells them, you know, don't, don't call me Naomi. I don't know if you picked up on this. Hopefully you did. Um, that's because Naomi is this word. Her name means sweet or pleasant. She's saying, I'm no longer sweet or pleasant. Instead, she wants to be called Mara. And so this new name she has to be called is because it means bitter. It's this confession of just where she's at in her life at this moment. And, and I really just appreciate how, how honest she is in this moment. You know, she's seeing her old friends. She's seeing her family. And she's not hiding behind some story of everything's fine, I'm good. Uh, again, though, she, she speaks of, of God's dealing with her. She believes in some sort of, uh, you know, that some punishment has been put on her, this calamity that the, the Lord has brought to her. And she's, she's really lost her trust in God's goodness. I think that's a fair assessment, that she's lost her trust in God's goodness. Often we, we do the same thing. We, we lose our trust in God's goodness, you know, uh, that deep lack of God's goodness you know, or lack of understanding the goodness of God to us. We, uh, we can hear it in the way that we speak sometimes, the way we complain about, you know, whatever job has con- God has provided us with or a sickness that God has allowed in our lives or the spouse that you find yourself married to or even singleness that leaves you feeling neglected by the Lord in some regard. It can be anything that makes us feel bitter. Uh, there's always some job, there's always some person, place that we believe has greener fields than wherever we are. Uh, in fact, that's, that's why Naomi and her husband left to begin with, right? There were greener fields in Moab, and so off they went. Uh, Naomi says in verse 21, I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. It's an interesting statement when you realize that she left because there was a famine meaning hungry, empty in that regard. Um, so how was she now saying that she was full in that moment? You know, at, at the time, they, they thought what they needed was, was more food, but in hindsight, she sees that uh, she had her husband, and that made her full. She had her sons, and that made her full, and she was confident in the love of the Lord for her, and that was what made her full. And now she has none of that. And so here they are, back in Bethlehem, just before the barley harvest, uh, do you notice in verse 22, she did not, um, they didn't call her Ruth, right? She shows up and they actually give her this, this explanation. She is Ruth the Moabite. Uh, it's clear that she is a foreigner. She is an outsider coming into the community of God's people. And one thing we're going to see is that God's kindness extends far beyond the covenant community, and yet it extends outwardly from and through the covenant community. In this case, through the Israelites, to this Moabite widow named Ruth. Um, but we haven't seen that yet, right? We haven't seen the love be extended because this is just chapter one. And I told you, this chapter can be a bit of a downer. There's so much more that's yet to be unfolded in this. But uh, for now, this is where we are. This is where, where we, we kind of come to a stop in the story. And Naomi is just angry at God for what her life looks like at this point. Because this is not she imagined her life turning out. Uh, I think many people, the older they get, can relate to that feeling. Um, and at some point we realize we all got to where we are right now because of some path that our life has gone down, some road, you know. Uh, Elimelech chose the, the path to Moab, and that affected their life. But Naomi has a path chosen for her when her husband passes away, um, unexpectedly. And so there's, there's two things at play here I want us to see. There's these roads chosen, 
Uh, and then there's these roads unknown in, in her life and in everyone's life. You know, roads chosen are those choices that we make in our life. You know, what college are we going to go to? Or are we going to go to college at all? What guy or, or girl are you going to choose to marry? What career are you going to pursue? Or, you know, if some of them are poor decisions, poor paths. You know, are you going to get into a car after drinking too much? Or um, Some of them are great, you know. Are you going to join a mission team that's going to Haiti to serve orphans? Things of that nature. But... Uh, you know, so in our story here, we see going to Moab and um, marrying these Moabite women. These were paths that were chosen. Even now, Naomi returning to Bethlehem is a path that has been chosen. Uh, in life, there's also roads unknown. Uh, things that are just out of our control. Things that happen unexpected. Um, you know, we tend to think of these on the most dangerous of things, but uh, I'll give you one example that's not quite that. I, I spent one semester out at a Baptist university in East Texas, Marshall, Texas. Um, I remember this was a, I met a new friend. I didn't know much about him at this point yet, uh, and he wanted to show me something. He was from there, and so one night I get in his car, and we go out, and it's dark, um, and, and I chose to get in there, and yet the second I find myself in the passenger seat, I am out of control, right? Um, he starts driving. We're out in the middle of nowhere. He's going about 100 miles an hour. At that moment, I had absolutely regrets. Why did I get in this car? Uh, and then he turns off the lights, and it just goes pitch black. And in the darkness, it just felt like the car went off a cliff. Um, it didn't. It didn't go off a cliff. I'm here, right? So that proves that. Uh, it was just this huge drop in the road that locals knew about and no one else knew about. And, and in the moment, you know, I, I might have peed my pants, but otherwise I was just fine. And, and, and my point is this, though, that, you know, some things we choose and, and some things are, are chosen for us. That's, that's the nature of life. You know, it's the things we don't choose that really get to us, though. You know, no one ever chooses to have their, their spouse die or to have their children die. No one ever chooses life-threatening diseases or uh, learning disabilities. No one chooses auto accidents or for their career to get phased out of society at some point. Naomi certainly didn't choose the path of, of her husband dying. She didn't choose the path of her two sons dying. Um, and the prospect for her now, having gone down this path, is that she feels there is no one to care for her, no one to care for her daughters-in-law. Um, you know, Naomi also didn't choose for the Lord to love her like she did. I think that's the flip side we miss sometimes. You ever think about that? You ever think about just the depths of God's love for you, for his people? You know, we tend to overlook the fact that the cross, the cross was a road chosen by the Lord. Sure, he prayed to the Father. If there's any other way, let's, let's go that way. But, but in the end, he chose to go down a road that ended in his crucifixion, his punishment for your, your sin, sin he didn't commit. His being taunted by these, these people while he hung on a cross, people that he actually created. I mean, that's, that's love. And even in Bethlehem, as, as Naomi sits bitter, right? Sat bitter, just broken and feeling unloved. God is at work. And this is the thing we've got to know at this point because you can't see it in the text yet. We're going to see it in chapters 2 and 3 and 4. Um, but even at this moment, God is bringing about redemptions in ways that she could never imagine. And so what we have so far is, is just this tragedy. Uh, and it's setting up this beautiful story of redemption. But you know, in a lot of ways, we're, we're a lot like Naomi in this moment. We are quick to assume that God is out to get us when things don't go our way. 
And we forget that the love, that God's love for us may be difficult for us to understand at times. Because um, you know, what, what does Naomi want in this moment? I mean, what does she honestly want? She wants her husband back. She wants her, her children back. Um, but what does she need? And it's easy for us to say because we're not in her position, maybe. Um, you know, what does Naomi need? That's a very different question, isn't it? The answer is the, the Lord. Naomi needs the Lord. She needs the one that she, she's bitter at at this moment. She needs the one who is doing amazing things for her that she can't see in this moment. Because Naomi's not going to get her husband back. That's, but that doesn't mean that God's not going to show love to her and that love to those that she cares for. It doesn't mean that, that God has nothing left for her to do either. Uh, she has, he has plenty left for this widow to still do. And we're going to see that. I, I remember John Piper, uh, one of my heroes anyway, uh, telling this story about his parents. His parents were in a car accident, and his mother died in the accident. But his dad lived with some very bad injuries. And he said that uh, after that time, on the, on the way back, his dad kept saying, uh, the Lord must have something still for me to do. The Lord must still have something for me to do. And he did. I mean, his dad spent the, the remainder of his life just proclaiming the gospel to people, giving hope, uh, seeing you know, the lost get saved by the Lord through the gospel, and um, over the years it follows. Sometimes the truth is that, that God takes away from us the things that we have treasured most deeply, and that hurts. You know, perhaps God wants to use us in our actual lives to put on display just how sufficient God really is, just how relentless grace, uh, God's grace is, just how strong God is, even when we find ourselves too weak to even get out of bed. And so, though it may be difficult to, to see in the moment, uh, you know, the truth is, if we are God's children, if we are made so by, by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, then uh, <clears throat> he has something in mind that he knows that we need. And that doesn't take away the pain of loss, but it does help us to feel the loving arms around us in that moment, even, even in the moment of the great suffering. So let me also remind you of this, in, in times of loss, in times of frustration, that um, if you take a moment and look around you, observe what your life looks like, you're going to see a lot of smaller ways that God has been gracious to us, for us, you know, for Naomi, it was a people to go back to. It was a, a community that would welcome her back. It was also Ruth who goes with her, this, this young woman who has just shown her this, this relentless love for her. For us, it, it may be our, our support system of believing friends, of family, of a, a church that will care for you and help meet your needs. Um... So I told you this is a bit of a downer. Would you believe at this point that uh, with this tragic beginning that the story of Ruth is actually a love story? An actual love story? A, a human love story between a man and a woman? It's the worst beginning to a rom-com you've ever seen, right? Uh, it's also a cosmic love story between the God of the universe and his people. Because there are things happening in Ruth, and again, I don't want to unfold too much for you and ruin chapters 2, 3, and 4, but 
The things that we learn about in the New Testament in Christ are tied back to this story in a very, very amazing way. Um, so like Ruth went to, to dwell with Naomi, you know, God has, has come down to dwell with us in this fallen world uh, to redeem us in a way that, that we could not redeem ourselves. So we're going we're gonna to stop there. Uh, we have this disaster. It's set up. I know some of you are visiting today and you uh, need to go read the rest of this book. You can't leave it here. This is always the temptation when preaching is that you want to go and, you know, kind of want to do Ruth in one go because we want positive things. Um, so here's what it is. Right now there is tragedy in Ruth's life and, and the Lord loves her no less in this moment than he did at the beginning of this. No less than he is going to love her by the end of this. Um, tragedy in our lives has nothing to do with the love of God for us. The cross, the cross has everything to do with the love of God for us.